I'm slightly addicted now to uh, designing tables. Welcome to episode 48 of the Narrative Wargiver podcast, a non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes and tonight I'm joined by Adam Boyce. Hey guys, thanks for having me again. Dave Barker. Hey everyone, hey listeners. And Matt from Wooden Spoon Wargaming. Hello everyone. As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you would like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do so by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so check them out and get involved with the growing community. And talking of growing community, it's uh, it's wonderful to introduce Matt for the first time on the podcast proper because we have had you on uh, one of our casual conversations before, Matt. But it's great to uh, actually have you here on the Mainline podcast tonight. Ah, oh, thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, no worries at all. I mean, the, the whole reason we have you here tonight is because uh, tonight we're going to be talking about your first ever like wooden spoon wargaming event that you ran just this weekend, and which I was lucky enough to attend. So yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a lovely discussion about that later on because uh, we've got you on so that you can give us a bit of insight into what it was like organizing, planning, and sort of running the event. And uh, I'm also going to be able to give a little bit of insight to you know my games on the day and how it went. And uh, one of the reasons that it was particularly interesting was because you ran it as a Tempest of War event, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, I thought that was um, a more relaxed, less beat face metalist armies where people are arguing over millimeters and not just enjoying the game for what it is yes which uh, again um you know one of the reasons why i was really pleased when you invited me along was because it sounded like exactly my kind of deal you know i'm, I'm not typically someone who you know will bother going to you know gt events and so on um because there's i find there's plenty of other opportunities such as this to you know, uh, really taking these more uh, sort of like fun, casual events. And uh, yeah, I think playing it as Tempest of War made it a really unique experience and uh, it was definitely a great day for it. Yeah, brilliant that you had fun. Yep. Um, so to join us for that sort of conversation and listen to um, how it all went, we've got Adam and Dave tonight. And uh, yeah, we're going to hopefully have quite a nice sort of like hobby sort of based episode really because we're going to uh, visit the paint station garrison check in with everything that we've been working on um so i'm sure as always dave probably has an endless list of stuff 
Adam has probably many projects, so much so that he's at the point of repainting some of them. <laughs> I've uh, I've been preparing things for Matt's event, and Matt has been preparing stuff for the event. So we've got plenty of things that we've all been working on. And uh, yeah, after that, we'll then talk about the event itself. So yeah, uh, I think, guys, unless there's anything else that any of you want to bring up before we uh, get stuck in, it's probably time to move on to the Pin Station Garrison. Sounds good. Paint Station Garrison. And we're back, guys. So I think it's probably going to be worth starting with um, Dave or Adam. Who, who wants to start us off with what they've been up to recently? Sure. Um, <clears throat> Paint Station Garrison, right? So, yeah, it's been a while since I think I've podcast popular. Uh, so I'll not try and dig all the way back to, to how far I've been, but I've, I've been, <laughs> it's been quite the last month or so. I've been going back to, as many of us are, I'm going back to the office a little bit more regularly. So I've been trying to sort out my hobby room a bit. And um, <clears throat> Indeed, if you've heard some rustling earlier in the podcast, that's probably because I've just been trying to sort out bags and piles of miniatures and things that I'm trying to sort through and get sorted. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I've been painting uh, some, some, in, some time before that. So um I think most of these I've probably posted on the group and people have seen. One of my favourite things I've painted recently was, uh, do you remember the old Armour Through the Ages set? Uh, it was originally in metal <clears throat> and then uh, in fine cast um, with the Mark 1 through 5 Space Marine armors. <clears throat> so I painted them up as uh, uh, a Spider-Man Company Champion Squad uh, in some quite vibrant Rainbow Warrior colours with the traditional Rainbow Warrior stripes down their home. It was quite fun. I, I was wondering, Dave, because I've, I've not asked you this yet, but I was wondering whether or not you might have picked up the new Horus Heresy box set just to get a bunch of uh, power-armoured Burstborn Marines. Well, I would say yes, but that would be a lie, because I actually picked up two box sets. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, if anyone was going to need you know, 60 Mark Six power-armoured guys, it would be you. Yeah, and that's that's what's on my painting desk at the moment. I've been, um, I've, I've been trialling this a faster paint scheme. So that I can, because some of the rainbow warriors with the fully blended rainbows and things, do take a little bit longer to to paint. So um, I was lucky enough to get a um, last minute ticket through uh, an ex trader friend of mine uh, to the Horse Heresy Weekender at, uh, at Warhammer World. <clears throat> so I went up there with a mate Lee, and um, we had a great day seeing all the stuff. Just being at Warhammer World, you know what it's like. Anybody that's listening that's uh, been to Warhammer World know what it's like as well. It's just a great place to hang out. And then seeing all the, the displays of the, the ones that the, uh, the folks online had come along and painted, the preview sets that they'd had, and the reveals and getting a chance to play the rules. It was just absolutely fantastic. And there were cosplayers there, and it was, uh, you know, it was a really great day. Um, and I got to paint a, a preview mini. Which I did as a as a rainbow one. I think I posted on the group, um, the Facebook group, uh, as just really simple blue armor, uh, black bolt gun, and, and backpack, and, and highlighted with silver, and then the face stripes of a rainbow warrior. Um, and I've used that, and I've been uh, painting a, a little squad of um, terminators recently because uh, they're going to be in there, and I've started assembling quite a lot of Mark Six Marines. You say a little squad. Is that because they're second edition Terminators? Uh, yes. Well, they're <laughs> they're not quite second edition. They're, they're not the metal ones. Um, they're the plastic ones. Uh, 
but they they look very much like the space hook ones that i picked up second hand and i picked some up second hand because they were cheap on ebay and uh, i wanted to test out the paint scheme you know it's like i don't want to spend <laughs> spend money on a full squad uh, brand new ones from games workshop when i all i want to do is, is test the paint scheme and if it if it doesn't work i'm gonna repaint them or throw it away or whatever but it has it has come out so come out okay and one of the real tricks that i found was um i found an airfix spray color because airfix obviously do Lots of spray paints, lots of lots of hobby companies do spray paints and stuff these days, and it's the right dark blue that I want as the base uh, for for the Rainbow Warriors that I'm going to do, um, and uh, and then just hedge highlighted with blue, and then it's just picking out detail, um, so um, quicker and easier than doing the, the multiple layers and the blue. And the, I've been using contrast paint for the dark blue armor recently and things like that. So uh, yeah, I'm well happy with that, and uh, I bought a couple of extra things. So. Um, I was just uh, finishing off uh, priming in the same dark blue a Kratos heavy assault tank, so uh, I should take to the battle soon as well. And, uh, and can I ask how many rainbows is that going to have on it? Well, I'm going to turn down the number of rainbows. It's only going to be the heroes and stuff. And of course, rainbow warriors aren't a legion, but they are descended from the uh, ultramarines. So I am going to be building an ultramarines force for Horus Heresy, although it will happen to be the 77th chapter of the. Uh, Ultramarines, known as the Rainbow Warriors. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, keep yeah, it thematic yeah. and, and keep it, you know, uh, in the right era so that it's, it's reasonable to play it. But, um, well, yeah, keep that going backwards and forwards as well. And I can I can then reuse uh, many of the miniatures in, if I want to use them for 40k, I can use them for 40k, uh, 9th, or, or indeed 1st edition. I've been playing quite a lot more 1st edition recently uh, because, uh, yeah, that's where, where the narrative stuff's been taking us, really. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, you, you mentioned like that's your plan for your, you know, your Horus Heresy force and stuff. Yeah. That I think I've heard a few people, you know, suggesting doing that similar idea for their own various chapters. Like, obviously, the, there was in theory only you know the twenty, you know, also um, you know originally. Yeah. In the, but they all have like some of the famous chapters have. Uh, significant companies within their Horus Heresy Legion which are known to become certain successes. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean we know that you know like the Templars become from the Imperial Fists become the Black Templars. Um the do you say seventy seven? Yes, now that's not canon. That's my own I've made that up because Yeah, seventy seven is the atomic number for Iridium, which is the rainbow metal. Um and that's why I've chose seventy seventh. Good choice. Um, like I know, I was listening to um, the Adeptus Terror podcast, right. and Sam on there, um, he's got uh, Horus Heresy Blood Angels, but specifically he has Amit's company. Right, right. So he has the company that become the Flesh Terrors. Yeah, of course. So he he has um, Blood Angels painted in uh, the like the blood angel legion scheme but they've got black shoulder pads yeah. because it, it his is set like his force is after the um battle of cygnus prime okay. where basically amit's company sort of brings you know some uh, dishonor upon themselves and they paint their shoulder pads black as a result but that also later then becomes the flesh terror paint scheme yeah. Maybe I should, if I get bored of Ultramarines, I should look to do Blood Angels and do uh, my own Flesh Eaters, as that was my lockdown army that I painted, of course. But yeah, like you say, you could pick a, a company um, from the Legion and you know denote it as going to be the one that becomes the Flesh Eaters, if that isn't already in canon somewhere, as to specifically which one it is. 
Well, I mean, if I want to do red, actually, I've, <laughs> I've already got a, a horse house army that I picked up secondhand uh, some years ago, uh, which is um, word bearers. So, um, actually, we tried out the rules last Friday for the first time at the club uh, and had uh, Ultramarines versus uh, word bearers. So, you know, all the banter was about Calth, of course. <laughs> I was going to say, start the mark. <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a classic matchup, and that made it a lot of fun, which was awesome. Yeah. Fear, yeah, no, no, fear is still one of my favourite horror heresy books. Yeah. I got a favourite at the moment. I've just finished reading uh, Master of Mankind, um, which I'd not. I need to get around to that one. Yeah, it's really that's good. Uh, a good one. I'll not talk about it then if you've not read it because it's really, really <laughs> worth reading. But just you learn things about the way the Emperor thinks in that book um, that you weren't expecting to to learn, and I think it's spot on. I think they're really good, uh, and they show uh, a little bit more how different. Marines are from custodies, uh, custodies and Marines are from humanity, and how different the Emperor is from them as well. And, um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. I, I'm still wondering whether or not, um, if possibly, like one chapter or um, something in the last book uh, of the Siege of Terror is going to be from the Emperor's perspective. You know, not not necessarily the fight with Horus, but like maybe like when he's fighting his way through the Ventral Spirit yeah. and he's getting to the bridge, maybe that chapter is from his perspective leading up to it, and that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure. Anyways, I'm not sure that's possible, but they, you know, well, let's see what they come out with. That'd be, be awesome to find out. Yeah. But anyways, I think I think we're getting a little sidetracked. <laughs> so why don't we pull it back to Adam? Because uh, again, I believe. You've been uh, busy on with a few things. Well, yeah, I've been doing loads. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think last time we spoke, I was working on some just some near fights for my Gene Stealer Cult. Um, since then, I've started repainting my Primaris Marines because um, I want them to be a custom chapter. I had Ultramarines before, now I'm going with Blue Raptors. Uh, but just, uh, yeah, something a bit more. Uh, I can build my own narrative with them. Um, so, h- how uh, precisely have you adopted this paint scheme? Like, what's changed from be uh, on them, like on the models, from being ultramarines to being blue raptors? Not loads. I have actually painted the armor a completely different shade of blue. So that does mean I didn't <laughs> okay. completely rework everything. <laughs> so. I was gonna say, I, I did think maybe the choice was in order to save yourself some effort and just change detailings. But no, you, you're going whole hog and just changing one shade of blue for another. Sure. Yeah, initially that was my idea. I was like, I was gonna just try and tweak the Ultramarines blue, and then I just didn't like anything I was coming up with. So I stripped them all, stripped the unit of intercessors and repainted them. Quite happy with them, but it turned out they ended up blue anyway. So. Was the new chapter just driven by the new paint colours, or did you do like the full white dwarf thing of designing yourself a new chapter? No, I didn't do that. It was it was just colours. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I, I so you almost got... went with the normal traditional raptors. Um, uh, yeah, green colour. So you got fed up with the blue of ultramarines and went with the blue of the raptors then. Yeah, the slightly darker shade of blue. <laughs> awesome. I can't complain with what I paint. <laughs> Uh, and yeah apart from that I've uh, converted some Dune Steer Cult characters I've uh, been dabbling with Gaslands as well which has been a lot of fun yeah I've seen a couple of pictures in the group with your different uh, Gaslands cars I I feel like 
little Gaslands projects must be the like the nicest little palette cleansers where you just like it's just a nice quick little thing where you just strap some guns to the Hot Wheels car. They really are. The hell out of it. Yeah, they're they're like I've been trying to make my own guns, so that's been quite fun. Just playing around with cocktail sticks and bits of cardboard and stuff like that. Um, but it is it's completely different to Warhammer in the sort of hobby way that you can probably do a car in sort of an evening and it doesn't need to be tidy because it's a death race sort of mangled vehicle so you don't have to be too neat with your painting you can cover it in rust and scratch it all up to hell and break bits off it it's, it's a lot of fun and you know you're on you're only working on a hot wheels car not a you know 30 pound games workshop kit exactly so you, you can sort of you know feel free to you know be a little more reckless or experimental with it because it doesn't matter if things don't quite go to plan you can probably Definitely. just scrap it if you really needed to you've lost two pound and or that you've ended up with some terrain for your glass on this table there's some yeah angled cars so yeah no it's been really good it's a, yeah i'm quite sort of uh, excited by it it's a very fun rule set and it's a very cheap sort of hobby to get into you, know, you really need the rule book and everything else apart from the dice you can pretty much make yourself which has been great fun cool and then uh, I suppose Matt I think you've got a bit of a, a tale for us regarding what you've been working on for the past three months has it been yeah, yeah, three months. It's been 123 pieces of terrain. So that's <laughs> taking that's taking two boards that I had originally, which is the old Sector Imperialis uh, Mechanicum style terrain, revamping them, adding bits and pieces from scenery sets I've got from eBay and Conquest and Imperium magazines, just just to like bring them up into the new world. And then obviously it's been a making five boards from scratch. So this includes two uh, jungle boards, which were set around in Imperial uh, science stations, which were the Nakmund big box set, and then also hills. Oh, yes. Yeah, then also hills and bits and pieces made from cork bark and plastic uh, plants from Ikea, which turned out really well. Yeah, they're really good. Them, uh, I've I've got a couple myself in uh, my like Death World uh, forest terrain, sort of integrated in with everything else. But um, the way the way you sort of built yours as well, where essentially did you use sort of like um, hobby like plaster almost to just create like a sort of like a, a cement block floor for them almost that they're rooted in. Yes. Yeah. It was um, sculptor mold. Sculptor mold. That's the stuff. Sculptor mold that I got off. Um... Amazon and then also uh, Geek Gaming Scenics, I believe Luke's APS uh, YouTube channel. His his version of Sculptor Mold, which works out to be cheaper, basically. <laughs> it's just the same stuff. It's like plaster and and toilet paper mixed together, I believe. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I can, yeah. Because I have to say, like when when I was playing on the table with them, um, I found them to actually be really good as like. Um, impassable terrain pieces like proper like line of sight blocking yet they didn't look like just you know a giant building or rock you know it was this sort of very very dense foliage yeah yeah that's what I was aiming for like the, the, the jungle theme but not being not obviously being too high 
the the slab of concrete or the mix was uh you look about 10 mil so that's about three-eighths of an inch i believe in old old measurements i'm terrible with that sort of stuff and yeah and then the, the plants were just placed into there then flocked over the top and then Corkbark hills were flocked there's a great video by mel the terrain tutor on stylized rocks where he paints a plaster rock mold face front and i basically copied that using wilkinson house paints four colors so a gray a light gray you mix in with that to dry brush it a brown to go into the crevices and then a slight lighter gray to uh just just pick up the highlighted edge bits it's then and then just flopped three times with three different mixes and away you go yeah that's always one of the uh, the best tips i think for uh, sand or flock is to actually sort of mix your sets together so that you've got variation if you've got yes uh, uh, yeah like they i think the rule of thumb is having three different grades of either sand or flock whatever it is you're mixing creates that more organic appearance because not everything is uniform in you know um size and shape yeah and then uh the next table was uh using the octarius orc terrain yeah so that, i was, that was jealous i didn't get to play on that one yes yeah, that was taking up that's four sets of that octarius terrain to two of the large buildings put together and then various bits and pieces and then again cork bark to just make a little bit of uh, line of sight blocking terrain as well on there and then the next yeah, two those um those cork bark ta like they're almost like towers or cliff faces aren't they those yeah like those are kind of I think you need to see them to sort of like comprehend sort of like the scale of them because I think if you see them just like an Instagram post or something you just think like oh yeah that's um, just a bit of a you know a rocky outcrop but actually no these things are they're, they're all, I mean they're bigger than knights you know they're the sort of things yes. that you know knights are going to be able to hide behind <laughs> yeah yeah and you know and that was the thing you know that was the thing to try and get people to like because I knew there were knight players coming and I was going to bring my knights and so I wanted to, to like even the the score, you know, because like some some tables it's like oh no no, um, I can see your knights everywhere I am, but if if you have pieces of terrain which are like thirty centimeters, so twelve inches high, it's like you aren't going to see a knight behind that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the final two boards were Sector Imperialis, the new stuff, which I based when the. When every single kill team box has come out that's had Sector Imperius box uh, terrain in it, I've basically gone onto eBay three days after it's come out because people only want the squads. So it's like the Tau squads, the Sister of Battle squads, the Chaos Space Marine squads. So I've basically gone in and got really good deals buying like five or six sets of terrain off people who obviously just want to scalp the squads and not, not really worried about the terrain sets too much. Yeah, it's it's a shame that you know those box sets are some of the few places that you can sort of get hold of that stuff these days. So it's definitely a good you know tip if you want to try and get hold of some of these. Uh, you know, try the secondhand market when people end up having to buy this terrain with other things they want, and they're going to try and recoup some of their cost by selling it on. Yeah, because I think the Kalnaf terrain, which now sells for sixty, the average price was about forty pounds on eBay. 
when it first came out, so you're automatically saving there. Uh, £20 per set, so it's quite nice. So yeah, it's been a been a little bit of a intense few months then. Are, are you looking forward to painting something that isn't terrain in the, in the near future? No, no, actually uh, I set myself a hobby goal of doing a, a challenge called No Sprue 22 which is basically not buying anything sprue-wise, like model-wise, the whole of 2022. So I've managed to slowly build up my uh, Leagues of Votan fund and <laughs> basically just clear my backlog. I've been, just been purging. Cause I've, I've been, I've, I moved back into the UK after living abroad for eight years and uh, my father's loft space is basically just a hobby history of Oh, I can't remember buying that. Oh dear, the postmark is 2012 on it. You know, it's <laughs> it's, it's still not been opened. You know, it's. Uh... So, are you hoping for a January 2023 release date then for the leagues of Vertan? Yes. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise your whole plan is going down <laughs> downhill as soon as they release at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think there will be the Christmas release though. I think there'll be second week in December. You know. <laughs> Well, I, th I think you'd be allowed to get away with that. If if the idea is you've not bought anything else all year, you've been waiting for your your Vertan release, then yeah, I think that's a, I mean that's a fair reward. Yeah, but but so yeah, but painting terrain wise, it's just been getting half of it, just finding inspiration. So uh, there's a great Irish YouTube channel and Twitch streamer called Mediocre Hobbies. He's done some amazing tutorials recently. He's popped up on the scene. And he's the one that I got the Octarius terrain off. The Sector Imperialis terrain I got from him. Using contrast paint. Spray it, uh, lead belcher. And contrast flesh terrace red over the top of it. So, and that was it. That's that's all the terrain is. And then slightly dry brush um, lead belcher again. So it, it looks great. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny uh, you mention him because I have actually been watching his uh, his narrative campaign series, like the yeah. first channel battle reports that he's been doing with the the Krieg and the Iron Warriors mostly. Yes, and, uh, they've been they've been a lot of fun to watch. Um, he's, he's he's definitely someone to watch. I think he's on the cusp of being like how Midwinter Minis was when he first came up and started doing the Blackstone Fortress videos before he exploded in, in, into the phenomenon he is now. Yeah, I, I I agree. Like I do think he he feels like he's a, a channel to watch. You know, he's on the cusp of uh, doing really well. I mean, I think he'd been, I think he'd started sort of doing his painting tutorial stuff. I, I don't know if it was a year, two years ago, something like that. Um, but he was a Games Workshop employee at the time, yes. and basically, you know, got hit with the whole you can't do any independent content creation if you work for us. Um, so he decided, like, cool, that I won't work for you. <laughs> I'll, 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 I will go work for myself, and uh, and he's now sort of launched his whole YouTube brand, um, like full time, and it seems like it's going really well for him. So you know, all power to him. I hope he does well. Yeah, of course. Cool. Well, um, you weren't the only one preparing for the uh, the Tempest of War event because I too was also painting stuff frantically for it for the last sort of like you know month <laughs> or uh, six eight weeks or so, uh, including some terrain, but not entirely all uh, for tables because mine was actually for a display board that I was attempting to put together because um, 
when I sort of planned out the list that I wanted to bring along, uh, all I needed to actually get painted for it was my three death copters and my wire banner. So I actually got through those um, probably start of last month um, or middle of last month, one or the other. Um, I've been posting pictures of the death copters in particular as I've been going um, on Instagram recently. Um, because they were they were actually a lot of fun to work on, um, because they were they're basically mini vehicles, so it, it's not like doing a big unit where you know you feel like you're repeating steps when you're having to go over all you know ten infantry models, but also because they're not physically as big as something like a rhino or a full scale tank, it was a lot it was very quick to do each stage on them, so they actually seem to. <laughs> ironically fly by as I was working on them um, and yeah I, I, there were tons of little details in those kits that I just loved things like the uh, the buzzer squig on one of them or the um, the bomb squigs on the second one I think on the last one I even I even took the time to add orcish runes to the um, like the signpost so it wasn't like script it was just like orc clan markings Um, but yeah, they were they, they were fun. Um, did you just freehand but, that stuff, Tony, or did you um, add specific no, glyphs panels? Um, so I added um, specific glyph panels, um, which were done with transfers, um, but they were actually like stating something in Orkish, as it were, <laughs> which was basically. Um, uh, Go away! This is mine. <laughs> Did you swear in Orkish? There was there was no swearing in Orkish, but it was basically um, like this belongs to like this belongs to you know me as it were, just generic orc. You know, yeah. this is mine. Sort of statement. Um, <laughs> be gone or else. You know, <laughs> a bit like orky glyphs. Um, so yeah, like little little nods like that. Are, and always a fun thing that I like putting on there. Um, so yeah, so it didn't actually take me too long to get the death copters done or the wire banner. Um, and as such, I was like, right, well, I've got some time before getting to the event. And in terms of personal projects, the next thing I wanted to get done was actually get my orc terrain done, you know, just for my own use on tables um, at home. So I'd already been making some headway on some of the Octarius terrain. So I thought, you know what? Why don't I just actually try and use this to just make a, a sort of straightforward but nice looking display board to take to this event? Because it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to um, you know, attend an event uh, myself and bring my orcs along. And I thought it'd be nice to just have that little something extra. So yeah, I, uh, I finished up um basically half of the the big like orc building from the octaria set so i've got like two pieces of the the building plus the uh, like the inner uh, middle piece and uh the mech boy workshop uh painted up including some of the uh, scrap piles that come along with it and between them they sort of filled 
more or less the space that um, the footprint of Miami takes up in a nice way. Uh, so much so that I was able to have the Boondacker Snaz wagons look like they were racing through the Mechboy workshop. So it had that sort of little bit of dynamicness to it as well, which was lovely. Awesome. Um, but what was really nice about it was that it didn't take a lot of resources or even expense to put together the physical board for it because I had lying around anyway a spare like photo frame, like like a big one. Um, I suppose it's maybe what well, maybe a one. A2 size photo frame, whatever it is. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but it's probably a good. About three foot by two, two foot, would you say? Yeah, I was going to say about two foot by three foot, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had one of these spare photo frames um, lying around, and I thought, you know what? I reckon if I just put some, some sort of like, you know, MDF board or equivalent inside that frame and glue it in with like uh, no more nails, you know, sort of like proper <laughs> secure glue stuff. Um, I reckon I could just use that as a, uh, a homemade movement tray, as it were, for the army. And then all it comes down to then is painting it up, and that can be the base surface for this display board. And then I can just place terrain pieces on it, like I would do on my actual gaming table. And then I can use my terrain pieces to create the display. Is that big enough to double up as a kill team board, Tony? <laughs> to be honest, it probably could. Uh, I think it would probably be... a a smaller scale kill team board, but I think you could probably do it. Um, I mean, it would certainly be dense enough, you know, in terms of um, if you put all the Octarius terrain on it, you would certainly have plenty of you know, nooks and crannies and buildings to be running around and climbing on. Um, so yeah, it was, it was dead simple to do because um, all I did was once I'd cut out the, you know, the backing board to sort of fill in the frame and I'd glued it in place. And then just masked off the frame around the edges, and I just went and got some rattle cans to basically, uh, you know, do most of the painting on it. Because I actually went to uh, like a local DIY store and I picked up one of these textured sprays that's designed for spraying like outdoor garden furniture and stuff or um, other outdoor equipment, so that it has like a, a stone surface effect. Oh, I've seen that. And I used, yeah, I used that to physically just spray this, you know, smooth surface to create the textured effect the same way that you would sort of like apply like a texture paint to a base. How did it go? It went really well. Um, like I said, I'll, I'll post some pictures of it up on Instagram probably after this goes live or in the next day or two, one or the other. Um, and it, it came out honestly looking like, you know, a, a girl in Badland, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or something similar like it has that exact same sort of um slight roughness to it but not being like uh really deep textures you know not being too gravelly or anything for this scale of miniatures it, it, it has that same sort of smoothness but uneven layer to it um so that works really well that, that took about 24 hours to dry properly as opposed to like a normal spray but once it was dry I then just hit the whole thing with Zandri dust. So again, rattle can, uh, Zandri dust over the whole thing, and then I've got this, you know, textured desert yellow um, surface that's about two by three foot in in this painted frame, that's uh, in this unpainted frame. <laughs> um, and yeah, I I did then um, use uh, basically a full pot of Cassandora. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> wash um, to ink and wash the whole surface, which I had bought specifically for this purpose. Um, and then dry brushed it back with uh, Tyrant Skull because that is the same paint scheme that I use on the bases for my orcs. So it matches my terrain, it matches my models, and it's just, it, it's really, you know, all on point and comes together really nicely. And uh, yeah, it was, I, I did buy, you know, like a single pot of shade paint to do this one thing and use like, you know, 80% of it on it. But I'm fine with that. I was fine with buying that to say that was the only real expense towards getting myself a display board. You know, that and a couple of a pair of rattle cans it was maybe like 20, you know, 25 quid total to sort of get a display board. Amazing. Sounds really good. Looking forward to seeing the pictures of it, Tony. Yeah, it was great. And um, I, I, I got a few positive comments about it <laughs> over the weekend at the event. So that was nice. And it was, it was certainly fun showing up to the day with. Um, Here's my carry cases that have my army in it. Here's my one that has my terrain in it. And here's this massive picture frame that I've brought with me. Now, <laughs> I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to clear a space because I now need to set up my own mini battle board. But yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. So yeah, I think, uh, I think with that, it'll be worth us uh, moving on now to our main topic tonight, and we'll uh, we'll talk about the the inaugural Wooden Spoon Wargaming event in, uh, in great detail. So we'll be back with that in just a minute. Are you enjoying the Narrative Wargamer podcast? If you are, why not check out our community Facebook group at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook. We share our latest hobby projects and narrative battles and aim to grow a community for casual and narrative 40k players. We're always excited to see the awesome things our listeners are working on, and it is a great place to hang out with other like-minded hobbyists. You can also find us on Instagram, at Narrative Wargamer, and over on Twitter, at Narrative40k, for regular hobby updates on our 40k projects. You gets listen up now, and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you gets supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of yous without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides to the paint boy over at Narrative War Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Narrative Wah Painter is now open for painting commissions. Specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. What did I say? Right, you gits. Get your loot in the truck and zog off to the paintball. It better be redder and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them Red Tooth sent you. You might get some extra special. And we're back, guys. So, the 
the whole reason we've got Matt on tonight is so that he can help tell us about the uh, the Wooden Spoon Wargaming event. So, Matt, would you like to give us a little rundown about uh, how it all sort of came to be and a bit of the prep leading up to the event day itself? Yeah, sure. I'll start by introducing myself. My name's Matt. I'm from a group called Wooden Spoon Wargaming. We're based in like a triangle of uh, Morley, Batley, Dewsbury, which are small towns outside Leeds in West Yorkshire. So as a group, we've been loosely connected, but uh, a few years ago, we sort of formed into like a, a more jelly sort of functioning object <laughs> to, to give ourselves a name basically and a, and a more connection. And so this event, uh, obviously the inspiration from the event came from um, SM Battle Reports in Gibraltar. Steve Pardo and the guys up legends out there. We were lucky enough to go to the GT, their grand tournament, which is the ticket buying one, not the invitation one, because my army is a finger painted standard, basically. <laughs> and uh, I'd never get in. I, I even tried bribing him with chihuahuas and uh, Hawaiian pizzas, but... Uh, so far, he's hasn't hasn't sent any messages back. So I shall continue to send flowers <laughs> and pizza to him. But yeah, the, the level of terrain I wanted was set by him, and as you see on the the, the YouTube report, it's amazing. And then inspiration again from YouTube has got to be tabletop tactics, of course. Striking Scorpion, Luke Barker there, and then it was just a, a case of wanting to push ourselves as a group and then start an event and then run an event because it was so far out of our comfort zone because our comfort zone for the last four or five years has been playing in my conservatory which is like you can fit two tables in and it gets a bit hot in the summer and freezing cold in the winter so we're just pushing ourselves basically and I've got enough terrain and I had enough ideas to do it and the worst case scenario was going to be that, as, as I said on the day, people were going to write bad things about me on the internet, but I would have paid them the money back and I would have had seven really nice tables full of terrain. Well, I think it's fair to say that, you know, uh, I, I don't think that's happened and I don't think it's going to happen. In the, uh, I think everyone seemed like they had a great time, I know I did, so I can't imagine anyone's going to have any critical negative feedback about it at all. So good, so good to hear. So the event prep was just like using my project management skills of breaking everything down into okay, I need I need to set myself a limit because I've seen people jump in two feet with this and go, oh, our first event's going to be 56 players and then they fall flat and so forth. I set myself a limit of 16 players, which six would come from our group and 10 people who are unknown to me basically so I put some feelers out got some contacts and then really thought that I could push this you know on the day we had uh, 14 13 after one person dropped out due to sickness but it was a nice vibe in the room I think you can agree it was a uh, hobby positive and just people rolling dice against people they never played against and that really helps push the the unofficial like slogan of our group which is bringing unity into the community 
Yeah, because out of our group, out of our group, basically, it was um, six, or six, all six of us knew each other, but then there was a group of five, and then a few odd splatterings of like yourself and a few other guys who basically took the risk, which I am so happy that people did. You know, I've never spoken to these people before. I've spoken to obviously I've spoken to yourself online a few times, but it was people willing to spend their money, drive two and a half hours to an event that I've put on, and they don't even know me. Which was amazing. Yeah, it's a great feeling, isn't it? Um, like, I, I sort of had similar notions uh, when organising the Crucible of War, and finally getting to see people in person, and just being sort of amazed by seeing people in person who've you know come to play in, in this thing that you've been organising for months, and uh, it's great, isn't it? I mean, I I thought it was a great to actually meet you in person as well, because like I say we've we've been chatting for a while now, and it was great to sort of finally put a face to the uh, the name as it were yeah, obviously you you are loosely connected with our area so you knew some of our teammates so it's good catching up with him as well so yeah it was a, it was good seeing and catching up with Dave again it's been it's been a good number of years since I last saw him uh, almost I think almost a decade at this point prior to the weekend you, uh, so yeah it was a it was a good time you got a much better on um, um much more unrefined and more refined uh, informal motto than we've got at our club, which is "Don't be a dick." <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But I think I prefer yours. Yeah. yeah so yeah, the event prep one. was just standard. You know, it's like setting ourselves limits. Obviously, I set myself a limit of seven tables or eight tables. So we had six on the run at the event. One was standby, and I had one more spare just in case it was a late flurry of sales. But then towards the end, I was like, towards like a, um, within three weeks to go of the event, I was like, nope, 14's enough. So uh, that that relaxed and I managed to schedule myself quite well. Because I work in the oil and gas industry, so I work a rotational period. So I, I do five weeks away and five weeks at home. So those five weeks at home have basically been waking up at six in the morning, painting for two hours. And then late nights watching Twitch painting again. So it's all about scheduling and keeping yourself on track, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I know I've got some uh, schedules that I'm trying to stick to um, to complete by October because not only am I uh, am I trying to expand like the mission roster and stuff and uh, add to the experience for Crucible of War Two, but I'm also currently completing a commission for one of the players who was attending and planning to use the army that I'm painting for them for it so <laughs> I'm responsible for making sure that the army arrives at my event painted <laughs> so no pressure uh, no none at all it's, uh, it's going to be good I'm looking forward to that um so yeah so how did you find um sourcing a venue and stuff and uh how how happy were you with the final venue that you managed to get? The venue was just me writing to Google um, Hall Hire Leeds area, and then that was the first one that came up basically. And uh, I messaged a guy. Uh, me and Dave went along two two months ago and had a look at it. We did a few measurements, and it's like, yeah, this is this is pretty good. There was um. There's enough space for the tables where you're not touching butts with other people on the other tables. 
So. Yeah, I, f I found that. That was nice. You know, it didn't feel cramped at all. It, it, it felt almost like, in a nice way, it, it felt like you had the number of tables you had because that was what the space was limited to, but like limited in a nice spaced out way. And yes. funnily enough, it sounds like you weren't using that number of tables because of the venue. That's just how many tables you were planning to use anyway, and it fit that venue. Yeah, yeah, because I wanted, I wanted like between 14 and 16, or 12, between 12 and 16, our first event. So I thought that was a good number where you aren't playing people you know, because the worst thing to do is travel, say, two hours and play your, your best friend you've just spent two hours in the car with, you know? So as, as, I, as I gleamed inspiration from your event of manipulation of the pairings, so uh, I knew who was playing who four weeks ago. So... Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, it, it especially is, uh, helpful when you can facilitate avoiding friends playing friends if that's what they want, you know, yes. so that people do get to see new faces and play new armies and stuff. And I know, um, you know, Dave and uh, and Dan uh, both requested not to play each other at the Crucible War, which yeah. was absolutely fine. And and I made sure that ha you know that didn't happen, as it were, and. Uh, yeah, it'd have been a shame for you to travel all that way together and then end up just playing each other in the first. Yeah, time. we'd have we'd have coped with it, but exactly like you say, the opportunity to try and play against other armies. I've not really played against Gene Steeler Colt, for example, and uh, that was uh, my first game against Adam, and that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can say for well that um, I played two armies I've never played before at the event. So I, I had my first ever game against Chaos Knights and my first ever game against uh, Harlequins. Um, and then finally, it's like my my third game was against uh, Black Legion, which is the first time um, in a long time, I think since fourth edition, that I played against a Black Legion Chaos Space Marine Army. So again, that's just really made my day as well. The fact that I got to play three very different games to what I'm used to playing, you know, with my local circle of friends and players. Yeah, you matched me at your event against Red Corsairs in the third round, and um, I don't think I've ever seen Red Corsairs before on the tabletop, but um, I don't see that many Chaos uh, Space Marine armies these days, to be honest, apart from uh, Death Guard. Well, I mean, they've made a resurgence recently, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but carrying on with the venue-wise, it was a, well, the venue was uh, Central Morley, which if people don't know, it's like a small town. Like a commuter town outside of Leeds, so brilliant motorway links with the M62, and there's a Morrison supermarket, a Greg's, and a little coffee shop within five or six minutes walking distance for the lunch breaks. So, uh, and it had its own kitchen area, which which people could have used. So, uh, yeah, it was nice. I'm very pleased yeah, with it that. Was, it was a lovely little venue hall, like I say, nice and spacious, nice facilities. It was, it just worked really well for you, I think. Speak, uh, so talking about the event itself then, it's funny how you ended up running it as a Tempest of War event, which I don't believe was the intention originally, because I think you started planning this before Tempest of War was released, wasn't it? So um, why did you make the decision to sort of, you know, uh, try Tempest of War as an event? I don't get a hobby enough as it is. So as I've been watching YouTube battles, the Tempest of War seems to be gaining momentum especially amongst like the two main ones I watched of tabletop tactics and SM battle reports 
and they're then they're both really hardly pushing and they're both like pushing this system of play which is good because it breaks the meta I think in that you don't get to choose your secondaries it's all based on the cards and some hands you can have bad hands where you score nothing and then some hands you can have a brilliant hand where you score 15 points and you run away with it so this added variation I think was a way to draw the players that I thought were going to enjoy the games for the games themselves not for scoring 300 points in three games and winning first prize because there was no there was no first prize as you saw there you know there's no second prize there was no third prize because I didn't even record the results of the games because that wasn't the, the point of the event you know the Tempest of War was to get people playing and then get people playing people they've never played before across nice tables yeah and I, I think it um, I think it was a great choice like I say it's uh, it did really well to just inspire just having fun on the day you know at the table and uh, I think it created definitely some some interesting army lists you know uh, yeah. showed up as a result you know people being able to have all sorts of fun with it rather than having to plan into pre-built you know strategies and having to bring sort of cutthroat lists in order to compete because you could, you could kind of bring you know anything that sort of you know reasonably had some sort of you know central theme or build and it would be able to achieve probably as many of the secondaries it drew as any other list um so yeah I, I think it was great i mean it's funny how you told me a funny story about how you went to, uh, around acquiring these tempest of war decks to actually run this event uh, do you just want to tell us a little bit about your experience of element games yeah i basically uh, i set the order up with element games and oh, i ordered eight decks of uh, tempest of war and they actually phoned me <laughs> like basically 10 minutes later saying are you sure this is the correct order? Have you really ordered eight decks of Tempest of War? Which is a brilliant customer service standpoint. But uh, yes, yes, I, I really do want eight decks of Tempest of War for our event, please. <laughs> oh, okay. Did you find that, uh, as, as somebody who's organised tournaments in the past, did you find at the end of the day you felt that you missed out by not playing that? I I was actually lucky that, uh, okay, I, I did drop because we had 14 players, one person it was a no-show. So I was I was unlucky number thirteen, but one of my teammates has had not played for two years. So at the end of two games, he was burnt out. I, I could see he was flagging. I basically I basically sent him away to get a cup of coffee with sugar in it, or a, or sugar with <laughs> coffee in it, and I took his third game. So I did get to play, which was nice. Uh, and... The funny thing is. I didn't even know that because I was too busy embroiled in my own third game that I didn't yes. realize you'd actually roll dice in the third round. That's, oh yeah, that's yeah, we, we to hear. Yeah, it was good actually. I, I played the Sisters of the Battle Army, so it was quite nice with my with my scions. So uh, I managed to push him into a corner and. Oh, with the um, with the purple scions, yours. I didn't realize yes. that was your army. I saw them out at the start of the day. You know, I was looking around the tables of the armies and stuff, but I didn't particularly catch them playing, which makes sense now as to why. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, the yeah. Case, purple but... scions are mine. Yeah. Oh, lovely! Now they look great. I didn't get any best army votes though. I'm quite upset. <laughs> didn't have a display board. Oh yeah, <laughs> true. Actually, I should have pressed the lid from uh, B and M. 
Nah, they should. I mean, you should have done uh, to some uh, extent because they they did look they did lovely. It's one of those odd things that I think when you describe it as like purple scions might sound a bit uh, out there, but they, it's it was done really well. You know, they they weren't garish or anything as a result. You know, I, I think I think the um the, you had Toroxes, didn't you? Yes, got seven yeah. on my list here. Yeah, yeah, I think the Toroxes in particular looked really good in that uh, that paint scheme. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, I, I suppose then talking about, you know, the games and everything, I'll, I'll just quickly sort of run through, you know, my own experience and my games that I played. So, um, I, I'd brought with me basically a, a, a Death Skulls army that was built around a Gorkonaut. I like, I had characters and psychic powers and relic choices that were basically designed to try and get as much out of a Gorkonaut as I possibly could before it got destroyed. <laughs> Um, and see if having this, you know, one big lumbering behemoth of a war machine would act as enough of a distraction uh, to basically cover the advance of the rest of, you know, my force. Um, that was the plan going into, you know, my games for the day. And then round one, game one, I was paired against Chaos Knights. Meaning that having one big stompy robot on my side of the table wasn't all that intimidating, <laughs> as opposed to the um, three big robots and four uh, war dogs that were opposite. Um, so that was a, a fun experience, but that was against um, that was against a, a great guy called Chris, and uh, yeah, he had a, a selection of. Uh, I think he had a Rampager, so like Chainsword and Power Fist, Chaos Knight. He had the fancy new psychic one with like the Lashy Tendrils and the Volkite weapon. Um, and then he had uh, a Sameshi Power Fist like Laser Destroyer one. Um, and it was interesting for me, being that this was my first ever game against Chaos Knights, sort of seeing knights in action, as it were, because seeing so few models have to do so much work to like carry their army um and actually being quite surprised at how fast they actually move around the table um especially considering that um they got the first turn so they were able to sort of just position themselves where they wanted to um but it, it was it i actually think that no, go on, was it a mix of big knights and, and smaller ones, or was it just big stompy knights? Yeah, it was, it was a mix. So, it's a, yeah, it was a, it was a mix. So he didn't have any of the the uh, the big big ones, you know, like the castle and class chassis. He, he had three of the um, like midweight big knights, and then four of the small war dog ones. Um, and what was interesting was that what the plan of my army was where the Gorgonaut is supposed to be the big distraction thing kind of ended up having to be flipped on its head for this game <laughs> because everything else was the stuff that had to pressure the knights in terms of like scoring and getting in their face and being on objectives and forcing them to deal with those um, so that they didn't have the time and opportunity to take shots at the Gorgonaut because between them if any of them had the opportunity to just concentrate fire on it, they would take it down. Um, so I ended up having it on a flank, and then it was 
maneuvering behind tall terrain to sort of make sure I didn't get shot by laser destroyers and Volkite blasters and stuff. And in the end, what ended up happening was that as like the battle lines of the armies clashed, the Gorkonaut basically just went leaping from one big enemy robot to the next and just came in and crashed through each of them in turn. <laughs> so... Uh, on my turn two, the Gorkonaut was able to charge the laser destroyer Sinesh Knight and just went straight through it for 36 damage in melee. Yeah, I saw, I saw that and I took a photo of it because it was such an amazing thing to see the, the poor knight just go, uh-oh. No, the funny thing is, Matt, that wasn't what you saw. That's what you you saw that on turn three when the Gorkonaut went onto the Rampager and did the same thing. Ah, um yeah so because the knights were having to deal with my other stuff i was able to basically charge with the gorkonaut into um each of the big knights like turn on turn and because he was charging he was just punching straight through them so while everything else was either like taking the damage or was dealing with the war dogs the smaller knights the gorkonaut was basically left unscathed like, he took some sporadic fire, but he was passing some force field in runs, and the big mech was diligently repairing him as he went. And yeah, he, he, he did 36 damage the first round against the Sunesh Knight and wrecked it, which then exploded and killed a whole bunch of my old boys. But it also destroyed one of his war dogs, which was on one wound, which then exploded <laughs> and killed more orc boys. And after um, turn two, uh, of my 30 orcs, I think 22 of them were dead, but 20 of those deaths were due to explosions, not to incoming fire. <laughs> I mean, that's just, just what happens with orcs, right? Yeah, it was hilarious. It was brilliant. Um, and then turn three, the Rampager had made its way across the field to charge my Mega Nobs on my home objectives, and it, it killed them and cleared him off, but that meant that it was lined up perfectly for my Gorkonaut to come sprinting through the wreckage of the Sinesh Knight straight into the Rampage one. <laughs> and did the same thing. 36 damage to the face and killed it. And, you know, admittedly, this is with the benefits of, you know, the WAR giving it extra attacks and the WAR banner knob uh, making it hit on twos and all the rest of it was why it was able to land these, you know, big one-hit punches on these knights. Um... And then, um, turn four, it had to spend the turn basically walking across the centre of the field to then make a turn five charge on the Knight Abominance, which was on his home objective um, by this point. And I'd whittled him down to just this one knight. And this was one of the things that was funny about Tempest, was that um, the scoring had been sort of pretty close throughout. And his last rounds of... Uh, secondaries basically revolved around holding his home objective to score you know a couple of victory points here and there and i ended up having um uh what's it called no prisoners the secondary that's all about inflicting wounds on the enemy regardless of like models and stuff um and i was only like 10 wounds off completing it when the only model he had left was this unwounded knight abominant because it itself healed as well. So I spent the last turn of the game just trying to knock 10 wounds off it. Not kill it, just wound it enough to actually score my secondary. Um, and 
I, I did that by launching the Gorkonaut into it, who ended up inflicting 18 wounds on it, because unfortunately this one had an imp on him, melee. So it wasn't 36, it was just 18 points of damage, which didn't kill it, but was enough to complete my secondary. And um, yeah, I, I, I think that was kind of like my highlight statistic of the day, was that in my game against the Knight player, my single Titanic vehicle, my Gorkonaut, had actually managed to make it into combat and punch all three of his heavy class titans. Like, it had just been going around, you know, getting involved in the, the titan brawls every time, and it was a lot of fun as a result. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my game one, and I, um, I ended up... I did end up winning that game um, 75 to 60 points. And I was amazed that the Gorkonaut was standing um, and basically unwounded at the end of the game. Which meant then that uh, game two, I played Rob and his Harlequins, who uh, we mentioned earlier, uh, ended up winning best army, didn't he, at the end of the day, Rob? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'd say favourite army is what I classed favorite it as. Favourite army. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, his, uh, his Harlequins were lovely. The... Um, the Star Weavers and the, I can't remember what the bikes are called, but the bikes, um, they all had lovely, you know, like um, paint schemes and uh, diamond patterns on the hulls of the vehicles and all these uh, actual Harlequins had, a, you know, a, a wonderful slew of colours that would have made Dave's army jealous. Never. Because they were, <laughs> they they would have, they could have competed with your rainbow warriors for the uh, spectrum of colors that they were bringing with them and um well i think one of the things that really sold it for me actually was his use of the um like the gamer grass flowers and things on the bases yeah. it just really made them pop like having that extra uh, basically color uh like highlight to each model just really sort of added to them and it was they looked gorgeous Um, but yeah, that, that was a fun game because this was the mission that we played where the deployment was the short table edges, so you were running down the length of the table. And um, we were actually playing on 6x4 tables, weren't we? Uh, yes. I don't think you mentioned that, but they, they weren't the smaller mats of the sort of standard GT formats. These were the classic full-scale battle mats. So uh, there was a bit of distance to cover down the centre of this table. But uh, the Gorkonaut got to it. He ended up marching his way down there. And um, I think this game featured my best moment of just incredible luck um, of any of my games, which was uh, on turn one, basically the only thing that I could manoeuvre to shoot with in order to see and have range on a target was my two Boondacker Snazwagons opening up with their various bullet-based weaponry at one unit of um, the Haywire Bikers. And despite the fact that he used lightning reflexes to cause me to only hit on sixes because of minus one to hit, um, I ended up landing, so I think it was about 50% of my hit rolls. I think I, I rolled... 24 shots of the main weapons and I think I landed like 10-12 hits on oh, the sixes wow. um, which was amazing because these things are almost perfectly started to kill these bikes 
Um, I was winning them on freeze. I was APing them to their invuln, and they were two damage on free wound models. So uh, I think I gutted the unit down to one member, um, which then the burner bomber was able to just pick off with last couple of shots, despite also still only hitting on sixes because of lightning reflexes. So turn one, being able to actually take out one of his two large units of bikes, because I think they were six-man units. Um, yes, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, like, really took the sting out of his initial assault, especially when he had a Gorkonaut to be dealing with, and all of a sudden I've just taken out half of his main anti-vehicle units in his army uh, with those haywire bikes. Um, so, yeah, that, that was... I, I, I gave... Um, at the end, you were using a unluckiest score rating, weren't you, as well, as part of your score sheets? Uh, I don't know if you just want to give us a little rundown of where that came from and how it worked, Matt. It was just the point. It's just like raising the, the point where when you're playing against someone and they say, for example, they, they, they need a two and they roll a one. They're like, okay, command point reroll. And they roll a one again. You know, you turn around and think, I'm glad that's not me because that's really unlucky. So that's where one of the prizes came from, which was basically uh, the unluckiest player. So I asked you guys to score a, score your opponent on a score to 1 to 10. Uh, we're like 1 being super lucky, made every save, no one died, to 10 of, oh my god, please, please, please just burn your army and never play that army again, you know? Yeah. And it, um... it, it's usually worked out because like some of the comments, I asked any scores above 8 to leave a comment. And that was going to be a tiebreaker, but obviously my friend Dave, he won, because his, his dice rolls are atrocious. The dice hate uh, him. Can you remember any of the uh, particularly uh, standout comments at all or not? Uh, things like failing a, a five-inch charge with Abaddon. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, quite, that's quite impressive. Um, a Tau Fusion Commander. So uh, all the fusion guns just whiffing completely. Um, there's a few of them, there's a few nice ones to remember well um, I gave Rob my highest unlucky opponent score of the day, I gave him an 8 out of 10 and part of it was not so much because any single thing he did was massively unlucky but because this was the game where I had like really swingy moments like this you know, initial volley from the boondackers that he was incredibly unlucky that like that particular role or that play went so well for me just on luck and dice rolls so uh, I don't know definitively but I I feel like he probably scored me as a 1 or a 2 or something like that for uh, bad luck in that game because I didn't really have much of it So your first time playing Harlequins was it as well? It, it was. Um, I mean, the funny thing about it was that he was playing as the, I think it's the Light Cedif or whatever they're called, um, the ones where um, they can't be hit on 1-2s or 3s. And yes. um, I was like, oh, it's fine. I wasn't planning to hit on better than 5s anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, like, when it comes to ranged attacks anyway, having that sort of ranged based transhuman effect it's like it's fine i only hit on fives and anyway, I, I would love to hit on fours please let me hit on fours 
Um, and then in melee, he uh, his his trait again was the fact that he's innately minus one to be hit in melee. But funnily enough, most of the core of my army is stood around a war boss and a war banner, which is two different sources of plus one to hit in melee. Yeah. So I was actually even with his negative modifier, I was a total of plus one to hit in melee. Um, which was funny, but yeah, I, I will give him this. Rob played a really good um, like denial game when it came to the objective markers because there was a ton of turns and secondaries that involved me having to um, claim hostile objectives, which a lot of the time there was either he avoided stepping toes on objectives so that he didn't have them so that I couldn't claim them from him in places where I would have easily forced him off it, you know, if I if I wanted to. Or there was a ton of instances in that game where actually we had contested objectives because until he committed to making attacks, he typically had single unit models, uh, sorry, single model units because it would either be a transport with uh, troops in it or it would be a single character and the amount of times that I ended up with like one buggy or the Gorgonaut on an objective but then there was also a single Star Weaver or a Shadow Seer and actually nobody held the objective and they were contested it meant that whenever I pulled up claim a hostile objective and the like the, the tertiary objective the like second part of the primary in that mission was taking objectives that were held by opponents. Yes. Which, the amount of times he didn't hold it, but I didn't have it either. So I didn't score on the primary, like, at all. It was uh, it was really frustrating. I mean, I say it was frustrating. <laughs> because of how it ended up playing out, I ended up winning the game 100 points to 57. So, obviously, I did eventually max the primary, but that was mostly because um, I think I ended up tabling him on turn four um, because I ended up basically cornering him and he couldn't get away. And again, the Gorkonaut did work. It, like, it went through... Um, it went through the bike unit, like the second one. It went through Starweaver. It went through a troop unit. It absorbed a bunch of uh, fusion pistol and haywire fire and either took it or was repaired after the fact. Uh, and by the end of the game, it had stomped down the entire length of the uh, six by four foot table and was stood on the uh, Harlequin objective in the last turn. Oh, brilliant. But it was a ton of fun. I mean, even seeing things like the Troop Master and the Solitaire and stuff literally leaping and diving into the Orc Horde and starting to slash their way through. Which, funnily enough, my, I think my favourite single attack roll of the day uh, was when I had a single Orc boy who was in an ongoing combat with the Solitaire because he'd killed the unit down to one guy and he'd passed his morale. In my turn, in my shooting phase, he just took a pot shot at the Solitaire with his slugger and he actually hit him and wounded him. <laughs> Which was just funny, this idea that I, I dropped the solitaire to one wound because the orc boy couldn't hit him with his chopper because he's a solitaire and he's dancing around all over the place. And I was like, oh, forget this. I'll just pull out my gun and shoot him in like, Indiana Jones style. <laughs> yeah, that, that was fun. 
Um, and then sort of round out my experience, uh, my last game of the day was against Josh and his Black Legion, um, where this was my first time seeing a Baden across the field from me. Uh, and a particularly large unit of Obliterators um, escorted by Master Possession, who was healing them, which was a real pain. Um, and I also really felt the sting of Armor of Contempt in this game because the amount of times that his like rank and file legionnaires didn't die because of Armor of Contempt. I think all three units would have been wiped out a turn earlier than they were purely because of Armor of Contempt and those units scored him probably an additional 15 to 20 victory points, you know, like over those two turns as a result. They were yeah, really I good. Think... Like, I go on. Yeah, I think Dave Dave was the other orc player we had with Goffs, and he was saying he was the same. He's like, you know, he, he's waited so many years for uh, the choppers to be getting minus one, and then armor, then uh, AOC comes along and just ruins it within a couple of months. <laughs> I mean, for me, the particularly notable thing was the um, the Gorkanor, who in the previous game. So it, it's funny, um, against the Knights, the Gorkonauts' premier thing was the punching for six damage in melee, like just punching his way through the enemy big robots. And then against the Harlequins, it was the fact that he was regularly putting out 50 bullet shots by himself just at the Harlequins, and despite only hitting on fives or sixes, he'd just be gunning them down by way to fire. Yeah. Um, you know, those... You know, toughness five vehicles with six wounds don't last long when they are being shot by a million strength six shots. Um, now, those are also a ton of AP minus one shots. So when it came to fighting the Black Legion, pumping 50 essentially strength five AP nothing shots into them uh, was often resulting in me killing one Marine. At best, I was doing one to two wounds after saves. Um, so his his shooting was uh, sort of redundant in terms of actually killing things. It was more just to um, just pick odd wounds off here and there. And instead, um, this was a mission where I was able to just bully him down the center of the table, and he uh, he punched his way through a venom crawler, a defiler and a Lord Discordant over three turns, and the squad of Legionnaires, just like a five-man squad. Um, more or less, again, with impunity, because thanks to force field boosters and the new War in runs, uh, and again, my big mech was specifically there for healing him, meant that going into turn four, having gone through all three of those units, the Gorkonaut was unwounded and stood on the Black Legion's home objective. Now, admittedly, there was an Abaddon who teleported into my own backfield and was staring down my objective as he was heading towards it, so it was kind of a mutual exchange. <laughs> um, but the Gorkonaut had done its job on the way, and uh, the Obliterators, who'd spent most of the game being harassed by my various buggies and competing over uh, an no-man's-land objective on the other side of the field, finally uh, got taken out by the Obliterators and the Baddens' efforts the turn before. Um, they had turned around and they opened up on my Gorkonaut uh, in their turn four when I was finally without an Invon 
due to force fields being burned out and the bar having subsided. And they practically one-shotted it. Like, they ended up docking 23 of its 24 wounds in one shot from these obliterators. <laughs> so it was standing there, like, barely holding together going into the last turn. Um, which, it did then get downed by the same volley from those obliterators again, so it did eventually die in the last turn of the last game of the day. Um, but it had done its job, and it had, uh, it had definitely been my MVP of the day. And uh, at the end of that game, uh, that was a close one where I ended up winning 83-71. to 71. And that was coming down to very tight secondaries and uh, trying to get people in the right position to contest things. But that, uh, that Black Legion trait, you know, plus one to hit against the closest enemy unit. When I'm not as manoeuvrable as an Orc player, I'm essentially just presenting waves of attackers. The biggest threat is always the thing that's closest to you. So he was quite regularly getting that bonus because he didn't need to target prioritize things that weren't the closest. Uh, so he's doing a lot of work with that trait. I think it's a really good one. So how do you feel the Tempest of War... Um affected your games, you know, because I, I remember the old Melshima war cards where it was like, go and take objective five, go and take objective four, and they were all the way across the board. Junk you know? and commander style. Yeah, yeah. These, the cards are so much more game achievable. Gameplay. Yeah, achievable, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I've played, uh, I've played a good number of Tempest games now, and I agree that I think the best change that there has been for Tempest of War from the Maelstrom of War version is the removal of go capture objective number X because that it removes the nature of having to randomly run from objective A to C to D back to A and so on like it kind of lets you concentrate on your overall battle plan proceeding how you want it to whilst then trying to score particular secondaries by you know target priority or movement and so on um it's just kind of like they genuinely feel like secondary objectives like things that you're trying to do in addition to the main thing as opposed to the main thing being run from a to b to z to d back to a so i do like that about it um i would say that typically uh, the first turn seems to be the most, um, it's the swingiest of the turns to draw the secondaries on because, uh, I think the first turn is when there's the most number of ones which are difficult to achieve or are very bad to have from turn one, like have two units in the opponent's deployment zone, um, do an action in the opponent's deployment zone, stuff like that that can be a pain but it's just the nature of the game system and it's totally fine uh, so I don't think it's often you'll be in a position where you pull three things that involve you being really out of position and you're not going to be able to achieve them till turn two or three if you hold on to them and the opponent pulls three missions that they can achieve easily in their first turn and then pull away and even then, that's only if you choose to hold on to those objectives. You can, you know, ditch them or use command points to redraw and stuff. So I think it's less prone to suffering bad draws that you can't work around, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. 
Like you, you definitely have to think about it and make the most out of your situation. But the fact that there are options and things you can do, I think makes it a lot more um, sustainable. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's good. And like I said, I, I think one of the things it really frees up in the terms of like event formats is the list building because you can you feel like you can just bring what you want you don't have to bring things to stick to a pre-described plan based on your chosen secondaries for your army I mean, like, I can't even remember the last time I saw a defiler on the table you know <laughs> yeah um, edition. <laughs> prob probably uh, yeah. in my case anyway but yeah it was fun to see it and uh it was, it was also fun to admittedly smash it with my Gorknot. <laughs> but it was firing his battle cannon and it was being a pain, you know, it was definitely doing damage. And it, it definitely it didn't feel like a bad unit. I just, you know, I presented it with the threat I needed to throw at it as well. But then again, you know, I was staring down a unit of Chain Gun Havocs, which is also a particular nightmare for Orc boys, because as soon as anything gets into their line of sight, it just chews through whatever infantry is in front of it, in, in my army anyway. <laughs> so yeah, it was um, it was great. And then, you know, as that game came to an end, uh, tables and terrain were literally being packed up around us as we were finishing our game off, and uh, I think I literally handed you the game slip and then awards started being handed out didn't they yes yeah your, your game slightly overran but it's, it's fine you know i'd you know there's no there's no there's no pressure on time was there so no, and that's what was nice about it yeah yeah so awards were given to rob obviously because of harlequin's army and then my my team member dave for a unluckiest player award i tried to make a sporting award based on uh sportsmanship scores but uh Every every player scored their opponents ten points, so that didn't really work. <laughs> we all won best sportsman, which yes. I think just says a lot, really, about the, yeah. the nature of the event and the nature of the you know the intent of the players who were there on the day, and I think that's great. Yeah, obviously, then obviously there's a bit of prize giving because uh, I managed to put together a little goodie bag of some cups. I had made uh, some very nice bits and pieces from Rival Crafts. I did a facing box for me. That's Sarah. Yeah, that was brilliant. I was really surprised to get this at the end of the day. I thought it was brilliant. You're handing out, like you say, a little goodie bag to everybody. And there's a whole bunch of cool little things in here that was just, you know, lovely to get as a, a little prize set at the end of the day. Including some, you know, Pride of Place Wooden Spoon Wargaming Dice, which can now yes. be added to the collection of branded dice. Yeah, there's also a dice from Mohawk Miniatures, uh, the live Twitch streamer who's been a massive help to me there was also help from uh the hobby room kerry she's been she's been helping me out with some hints and tips and also rich who is now rok minis he's rich from the Floorhammer podcast he's been a great help with terrain and bits and pieces and like using decorators cork to stick the bark down to the wood the uh, mdf boards which is quite helpful so he's, he's been an inspiration, so uh, everyone was given a nice 10% code for his new online store, which I thought was nice of him. Yeah, it's excellent. Like I say, I, I love going through little goodie bags like these. Are the, um, I just have lots of little things that you just don't 
you don't expect to have, and then you will find a use for them as a result. Um, like I say, the the little set of uh, like resin candles and stuff, and uh, there's like some some little bottles and cups and beer cans and ammo boxes and stuff from uh, Rock Minis. That's they look like brilliant little things, and I can already tell. Like I'll probably put those little beer cans and stuff on some of the other orc buggies because I know like the Boomdacker has a bunch of discarded bottles and beer cans in the bottom of it, <laughs> like the yeah. passenger footwell. So being able to repeat that little decorative feature on one of the other buggies that doesn't come with it pre-molded, I think will be a nice touch. And um, those candles in particular, I think would look brilliant on anything like Necromundan involving the you know, House Cordor models, or um, I've actually got a Chaos Hel- uh, Helot cult gang that I'm working on, and maybe having some candles on those bases will look brilliant. Oh, yes. I actually think about it, that's probably what I'm going to do with them. I'm going to put, the, put them on there in a sort of dark, you know, mirror of the Cordor faith. Yeah, so that um, awards, thank you very much, is and then it was go home time, wasn't it? So it was a, a massive, massive day for us as a gaming group. A massive day for myself because up until Dave, we, we got the van on the Saturday and we got to the venue at 8 so we left my house at 7.30 after loading all the boxes like 18 boxes 7 mats 4 tables I just about finish hair dryer drying some of the terrain mm. which is still wet at 6 o'clock in that morning so I was running on 59 minutes sleep so uh, I won't be doing that again no I, <laughs> I mean like my own frantic experience uh, uh on you know the opening hours of the crucible of war taught me as well i I think i'm going to be there the day before next time to sort of set stuff up in advance because running around like a lunatic setting up objective markers and putting out um mission details and everything it was uh, definitely something that would be nice to have ready in advance of the the morning of the event but yeah so uh I assume you already have thoughts and plans for doing it all again, because I know I certainly would love to attend again in the future. Yeah, I've got some 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 things that I've taken away by like um, looking again at the event and trying to self-assess myself as a as a good buzzword is. Um, I didn't I didn't number the tables, which which was annoying. I turned around and went, okay, on table one is this player. And everyone was looked, and everyone looked around, and was like, "Okay, but which table is table one?" And I'm like, "Great." So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny the little things that um, you know you're you sort of pick up on it. You, you haven't necessarily thought about until you do it, and then you're like, "Oh, oh yes, I'll do that next time, or I'll do this next time." Like, <laughs> I know I am. Um, I had plans to print out um, like certificates. Uh, that I would fill out the players' names on the day, you know, once I know who'd won the awards. Yeah. And uh, I, I knew that the venue had a um, a computer and a printer. I knew that was fine. Hadn't considered that when I got there, there might be some compatibility issues between my laptop and the printer in question. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the fact that the my macbook refused to acknowledge the existence of this printer and uh, would not connect to it <laughs> um oh that was it no, it was it was the fact that i knew the venue had they had a lap they, they had a laptop 
that they used and they had a uh, a printer that they used so i just assumed it had wi-fi and then realized when i got there that it didn't have wi-fi they just you know were wired into the printer but the printer port cables didn't match the ports on my machine so i couldn't wire into it (laughs) so i ended up having to like email the print documents to the venue guy's computer so then and he could print it off from his machine <laughs> and just little things like that is stuff that you know once you sort of encounter it as a hurdle once um you'll always think about it in the future yeah so it seems like the second one was i got a couple of points on my notepad here it's like i didn't keep it simple on each table for each game there was the the mission and then the, and then the deployment zone map and then like a run through of what you should do, like say hi to your opponent, roll the dice, who sets up the first terrain, the objective marker. I didn't make, I should have split that into two sides. So on the first side in, in a lot bigger font than size 10, it should have been, this is the primary mission, you get points for this. This is the secondary part of the primary mission, you get points for that. So the players are seeing without having to pull the board close to their eyes, that this was the mission because halfway through the second game people are like oh yeah yeah i've got five points for this i'm like have you read the mission oh uh well no oops so yeah i definitely try and keep it more simple you know and and the, the times that are around i i guess about two hours and 45 minutes based on stolen event packs from everyone else but <laughs> if players are having fun you know we we need to have like a a wiggle room of like three hours, I think. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that one of the advantages of having pre-planned pairings is that you can allow that a bit more because you don't need to have the time as the organizer set aside to be able to process all that data as it comes in and yeah. then make your pairings based on that. I'd say I know that um, on our, at the Crucible of War, we had one table who, um, in, in round one, they played through an entire extra uh, hour of gameplay because they played through their lunch break. <laughs> because they could, because there was no reason why they couldn't. They literally, you know, um, they set up with their opponents for um, round two and just started then grabbing the food that they'd had brought for them, you know, <laughs> and they started yeah. eating as they were playing in strains around two. Uh, and it wasn't even like they were trying to, you know, finish out a game like with that extra hour they only got to the end of turn three and they had a ton of fun doing it so you know if they'd have not had that hour i think they'd have been halfway through one player's turn two you know yeah <laughs> so it was it was their decision between them that they were happy to keep playing over lunch hour and it, it didn't affect me as the organizer so i was like yeah sure go for it you know, I've, I've no reason to stop you so have fun with it <laughs> Yeah, and then obviously uh, table, as you mentioned before, table size. We we played on um, six by four, and I think that's that's a the proper way to play. You know, not not a smaller table. Uh, I agree, and I I think it works well for uh, Tempest as well because I actually think I think the No Man's Land's objectives are basically too close and all on top of each other if you're on yes. a smaller uh, board size because they're practically predetermined positions otherwise because there's yeah. not enough room to place them in any extra configurations and then even though we were even though we were playing the like, latest edition of the rules i decided not to go for the command point changes the halving of the command points so each player started with 12 
and their transports would not blow up on turn one if they were empty because you know I, I personally take seven Torox Prime so I don't want to lose a thousand points in the first turn <laughs> yeah if uh, if you don't necessarily have the guys riding in them yeah because it, you know the, the game wasn't competitive so really enough you don't follow the competitive mantra and uh, the things that are set in stone in the, uh, the new books so I started I turned to everyone and went look start with 12 CP you don't pay for your um warlord trait you don't pay for your first relic so you know. yeah um i've been debating this myself um seeing what the plan is going to be for crucible of war 2 and uh i've yet to decide you know where i'm going to land on it because it's funny how you know the event pack is already out there but you know these updates to the game system you know will happen in the intervening months and um as yourself you know you put some emails out to the attendees in advance sort of letting them know that this was going to be the change and how we you were going to be using it moving forward and yeah um how it was going to play on the day and i think you were really good at it with communicating all that information yeah so yeah uh, i definitely i look forward to the next one where so whatever it is and whenever you get the details let us know and we'll be happy to spread the word and give you a shout out because i know i would love to come again oh, that's brilliant to hear that So, speaking of shout-outs, and also so that we can hear, you know, Dave and Adam's voice again at some point, why don't we move on to our community spotlights for tonight, and uh, why don't we start with Adam? You can uh, give us a little rundown of whoever it is or wherever it is you've seen something that you really want to give a shout-out for recently. Yeah, no worries. Well, after listening to um, your shout-out, the Forty Curious. Uh, one of their recent guests uh, was a guy who does another podcast called Old Decks, which I've really enjoyed listening to. Uh, basically, he goes back to old out-of-print codexes and reads the short stories from them, but in a really like well-produced and sort of uh, yeah, well-read kind of way with big sort of characters' voices and stuff. I've, I've really enjoyed listening to them, but they're they're sort of short podcasts that are only sort of between seven and ten minutes i think most of them yeah i have also listened to them all um off the back of listening to 40 curious and yeah mr rj bailey's work is amazing isn't it it's uh, yeah. he does some brilliant voice acting i mean funnily enough i think one of his one of his best pieces is the intro to the 40 curious podcast that he recorded yeah. for uh, for them that's that's brilliant and yeah all his old deck stuff is a really good listen it's it's, it's a really fascinating um production yeah he's um i think he's taken a small hiatus but he's on 40 curious he did say that he's hoping to get back to it quite soon so hopefully that was more permanent yeah he's uh, he's mostly done um voice acted excerpts of um like these small narrative stories from the third edition Necron Codex and third edition um, Imperial Guard Codex at this point. But I know, I believe, I believe he has plans to do other codexes and races and editions going forward. And obviously, as and when he can get around to producing them. So I'm looking forward to him doing some orc voices in the future, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, maybe hear yeah, some from the Gene Steeler Colts. 
Ooh, that'd be good. I'd, I'd, I'd really like to hear him do that because the range that he does from like Inquisitors to Shipmasters to uh, Adeptus Mechanicus adepts. Yeah, um, it's really like, well produced. It's good. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really good. Um, so yeah, definitely go check that out. That's the the old decks podcast. So tell us, Matt. Then, in addition to obviously everything that you've been doing for the Tempest of War event um, in the recent months. Uh, what else do you sort of do with Wooden Spoon Wargaming? Is there other things that people can listen to or go see or generally sort of catch up on what you and your group are up to? Yeah, obviously there's um, social medias across the world. There's um, Instagram, that's it. Instagram, there's Instagram. We've got an Instagram account, Wooden Spoon Wargaming. Uh, YouTube, got a YouTube channel I started during the lockdown. I was very lucky to uh, interview some of the hobby legends in the community but with um, work and life since February it's taken a bit of a wobble so I put that on a bit of a back burner but I plan to get a lot more of it sorted out now I'm I mean, settled back in the UK I definitely think it's worth going and listening to some of those interviews as well though I know I've listened to some of them and like you say you, you've had some, some really interesting personalities on there um, I, I believe was it um, you had Beard from Tabletop Tactics on on one episode? Was it? Yeah, he was one of the first ones actually. When I reached out to him and basically turned around and said, "I've been a, I've been a fan of yours for ages." I showed him the uh, the receipt from when I subbed to them on Vimeo. This, this is pre website, pre YouTube. So when they had <laughs> like maybe twenty thousand subs, uh, best one was a uh, Midwinter Minis guy. The fact that I could actually I. I took a photo, I don't know why, when I, fa when I found his channel first off, when you had like 400 subs, I said to him, look, I've been subbed to you since you were 400 subs, here's proof. Give me an interview. And he did. Uh, Luke Barker, Striking Scorpion 82, never done an interview before. I got slightly slightly uh, inebriated on the alcoholic beverages and, and emailed him and said, I love you, you're an inspiration, I want to interview you, I won't show your face. So he, he wrote back the next day and went, okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, people should definitely go um, check that out as well because I, I think they are good listens. Um, but I believe uh, you also, uh, you had a shout out as well in addition that you want to mention? Yes, yeah, definitely def uh, a hobby inspiration. A hobby brother at the moment is Rich from the Floorhammer podcast. He's taken um, sabbatical from work and started ROK Minis. He's got a lot of 3D printing and he's 3D printed stuff for me in the past and quite possibly for future events because uh, I'm slightly addicted now to uh, designing tables. So, uh, <laughs> there there yeah, may be seven it's... different tables at the next event at this rate and uh, two of them are in planning now. I've got some MDF terrain from Holland, uh, some MDF terrain that looks like the Dawn of War buildings. So, uh, stand by. But Excellent. yeah, definitely Rich from ROK Minis. And then, uh, Dave, have you got some shout-outs that you'd like to mention? Yeah, I think this is probably a repetition shout-out, but um, there's a, a shop in Great Yarmouth uh, called North Wargame, Board Games and Wargaming, and they, they buy and sell trade in second-hand and some new uh, miniatures. And I popped in there last Thursday and picked up a load of bunch of stuff for heresy and um, 
some bits for my my cousin's daughter who started to get into warm as well so i've got a package here to put in the post of turnies to send her because that's what she's got into and um they were kind enough to uh we talked to them quite a lot and uh, they i told them about the podcast of course so they gave us a shout out on their web page uh, for the narrative wargamer so uh, i want to shout back to uh uh, Norfolk War, War Games and War Game Shop. Um, they've got a Facebook page if you wanted to find them, or if you're in Great Yarmouth, they're in the back streets there, and they're worth looking up. Um, lots of cool stuff they get in turn over a lot of uh, miniatures in the East Anglia area, and um, yeah, it's a great place to go. Excellent. Um, and then for myself, I've been meaning to shout out for a long time uh, an Instagram account that possibly some of you have already come across and found but it's also spectacular and really worth a look if you haven't um and that is paint noob on instagram which i think is possibly one of the most ironic names of any warhammer artist because he's by no means a noob at what he does at all so that's um it's paint underscore noob spelt n-e-w-b like i said there'll be a link in the description but um yeah he's uh he basically he's a sort of digital artist who has been doing a whole series of really spectacular detailed 40k and 30k sort of inspired um artwork pieces mostly around the primarchs yeah both you know loyalist and traitor and um he's been releasing basically all these like personal project pieces that have been accumulating in two to three like major um sort of art um projects now and uh just to quickly give you an idea of what those are like the first one he did was he reimagined all nine of the loyalist primarchs if they all came back to the 41st millennium setting so for example he's got artwork of Gulliman looking more or less like he does you know in the more Mark 10 sort of Primaris style appearance to his armour as opposed to his heresy you know appearance and then he's taken all of the Loyalist Primarchs and done similar examples so you know like um, Vulcan is wearing sort of Gravis styled Primaris armour and so on and he's done all these different reimaginings of 41st millennium versions of the Primarchs, including the dead ones. So even Sanguinius and Ferris Manus, you know, get reimaginings, including some abstract ideas for how they could be in the setting. So definitely go check those out. Does Ferris Manus not need a helmet? Uh, no. He, basically, the, the Ferris Manus idea is he's a sort of like a Legion of the Damned thing, you know, so the whole flaky okay. space, space marine cool. ghost thing. <laughs> um... And then, in addition, his latest big project has been uh, reimagining the characters from the Heresy if the roles were reversed. So instead of the Horus Heresy, it's the Lionel Heresy, and all the Loyalists are traitors, and all the traitors are Loyalists. So he's got a, a lineup of all the Primarchs, um, sort of like for each side, as it were. So the traitor ones done as a loyalist gathering of Primarchs looks amazing, you know, seeing like what a, a loyalist Conrad Kurz or a loyalist like, um, Angron looks like is uh, some really cool ideas like Fulgrim's spectacular as well and 
he's now he's finished all the loyalist versions of the traitor primarchs and what he's currently working through is traitor versions of all the loyalist ones so his most recent artworks are of like traitor sanguinius russ khan and ferris manus and uh yeah, it's, in addition to that, he's got a whole bunch of other sort of like, you know, commission pieces and bespoke artwork again within, you know, the Warhammer setting. But it's really like an, a passion project that following his account is really interesting to see as it all comes together over time and seeing these, you know, spectacular visions of heresy, as it were, come to life. Yeah, he's an amazing artist. They've just been looking through them as you've been talking. They're, they're... They're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. That's. I've. I've kind of been saying all that. And I haven't even really, you know, pointed out the fact that it's all spectacular quality. It's not yeah. just, you know, <laughs> the ideas that are really great ideas, but the execution is also spectacular, and the art itself is just gorgeous to look at. You know, those sort of pictures where you can spend hours just looking at them over and over, and you'll keep spotting details you didn't see before. You know, that sort of level of depth and detail. It's a great account i highly advise going and following it so yeah uh, so with that i think it, it's about time to say thank you to everybody for tonight so you know thank you adam and dave for coming along and hanging out and listening to me and matt recount our you know our own tales from the weekend always welcome it's great fun it's like i'll get a chance to listen to it a second time when i listen to the podcast <laughs> thank you for having me and thank you especially to matt for not only coming and you know, giving us a whole episode to talk about um, a great time and also for actually putting on the uh, the Wooden Spoon Wargaming event at the weekend so that, you know, amongst others, I also got to just have a great day of playing 40k. So uh, thank you very much for that. It's brilliant, mate. Thanks for having me on and thanks for coming along. Hope to see you at the next one. Oh, definitely. You definitely will. So until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast helping you to discover more ways to play party games.